When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Pretty emphatic win for the Celtics here, even though the final score, uh, pretty close. Hawks kept it close. They're back up, but... Sam Hauser, Mike Mascala with a 7-for-7 seven seven start in the third quarter, and Peyton Pritchard with the 25th triple-double in Celtics. The Celtics to a victory here. And we don't have to This is worth hitting on here. Yeah, I mean, look, this was this was a game where we saw the the other big three uh, for the Boston Celtics, and we're talking about Peyton Pritchard, Sam Hauser, and Mike Muscala. I thought that they did as expected, which you're hoping that your guys who don't play much will do when they get an opportunity to kind of have a more front and center role. Uh, I thought Sam Hauser really set the tone with his perimeter shooting, but also his movement without the basketball. I thought was really good, and that kind of opened up some things for him. and And Mike Muscala did exactly what the Celtics were hoping that he would do when he was given an opportunity to play and that's knock down shots that's really a big part of why they felt they needed to add another stretch big to the mix when you talk about Al Horford who basically is their only other legitimate stretch big and Peyton Pritchard you know we, we've talked a lot about Peyton Pritchard uh, as far as you know his future with the Celtics and whether he can you know what, what can he do to help the Celtics and th- this is proof positive that the only thing that's significantly keeping him from being an impact player it's playing time. Uh, you, you get the feeling the more you watch Peyton Pritchard play, the more you get the sense that he's going to be a really good player uh, somewhere else besides Boston because he's going to get a greater opportunity to play somewhere else. But give Peyton Pritchard credit. I mean, he went in there. He handled his business. He made shots, got other guys involved, did uh, you know, did a good job on the boards and was a big part of why the Celtics were able to get this win while their core guys pretty much you know watched this game from far. Yeah, and you're thrilled with how Pritchard looks in this game. We talked to him the other night after that heel injury. Uh, he suffered at the beginning of March in Cleveland at the end of that game. And uh, He came back against Washington, played the end of that game, looked like he was limping around in the locker room after, and then missed some more time over the last couple of weeks here. I guess he's got a bone bruise in that foot he's still dealing with, plantar fasciitis. So for him to be able to go out there and give you 30 with all that going on is encouraging. Probably not going to play in the playoffs, Rod, but if someone goes down... You know, he's stepping right up into that third slot at guard. And as we said, coming into this year and throughout much of this year, when he got those spot starts, you feel good about him going out there if the Celtics need him to, even in a playoff environment. Depends on the matchup, but there are some teams, Hawks among them, who he could go out and score against if they really need him to. 
Yeah, and, and you feel that way even when the Hawks have their regular core of players around because, you know, if they're playing Atlanta and this is a playoff game or a regular season game, chances are Peyton's on the floor, he'd be matched up with Trey Young, which I like his chances of being an impact player offensively when that is the matchup that he's looking at from a defensive standpoint. But, you know, you look at these guys that we saw, other than Sam Hauser, uh, the others are probably not going to see much of any kind of playing time, uh, but you didn't you didn't get the sense that they were just out there just trying to occupy space and just keep, you know, just keep the clock running. Basically they were out there and they were making plays. They were doing the kind of things that, you know, they, they, they give Joe Mazzula, I think a little more confidence than before that when an opportunity to play significant minutes comes their way, they will be more than ready to meet that challenge. And again, I'm, I'm with you, Bobby. I'm thinking a lot about Peyton Pritchard in that regard, because he, a lot of good things happen when he gets a chance to play. But when you look at the guys that are playing ahead of him, you've got, the, the reigning defensive player of the year, Marcus Smart. You've got the probable sixth man of the year in Malcolm Brogdon. You've got Mr. Versatility, Derek White, who plays you know multiple positions uh, and plays in every game. So they're really, and we're not even talking about Malcolm Brogdon, or excuse me, I just mentioned Malcolm earlier, but the bottom line is there are a number of guys ahead of Peyton Pritchard in the pecking order, which is why he doesn't play. But it is not about his inability and more about opportunity that limits him at this point. Agreed. Uh, Hauser as well. He, he deserves a mention out of this one. And the last thing I'll ask you about Pritchard, and I did turn to Joseph and say this during the game, it is possible this is his last run. If they don't suffer any injuries, of course, there might be some garbage time in the playoffs. That always happens. But if they're healthy, he probably doesn't have a postseason role, as we've seen for much of this year. And they reportedly almost did trade him at the trade deadline. We know the difficult spot he's in, and he's talked about throughout this year, being able to put up 30, 14, and 11 and not play. There'll be someone out there this offseason who needs him, and I'm sure they might actually offer the Celtics after seeing stuff like this this season. A decent package. I know he's extension eligible, and he only has one year left on that rookie deal, but that's still valuable for a team, and I think – People have said it throughout this year. If he was on the Lakers, he'd be playing a ton. If he was on some of these lottery teams, he'd be starting uh, today in the final day of the regular season as he was here and maybe in some bigger games as well. Uh, So this might be the beginning of the end of his time here. And, of course, he was very professional with it this year. I know some people didn't like the interviews he gave about his situation at certain moments in the season, and he did seem to think he was going to be traded at a certain point that week in February. But... This was a perfect storm, I think, for Boston and him this year, of being able to prove he can do, get a bigger role elsewhere and helping out the Celtics when they needed him. Yeah, and, and you know a lot of the stuff that he was talking about when he kind of alluded to expecting to be traded, that's not just stuff he's just pulling out of thin air. That, that comes from conversations between his camp and the Celtics camp and, and just some of the stuff that they're hearing and some of the things that, have been, that they've had conversations about. And so that was very real. Uh, the, the one thing I, I will say you know, about Peyton is that you know, where we sit in, in, uh, for, for the games, the, the section that I sit in media, I'm usually surrounded by scouts. And I can just tell you right now, I'd say – the couple of weeks before the trading deadline, he was the one player that I was asked most about as far as what's he like beyond what we see on the court. Are there issues that are keeping him off the court that maybe aren't prevalent? Uh, is there some kind of a gap or a chasm or, or tension between him uh, and, and, you know, the coaching staff in front office? And there's none of that. The, the thing that, that 
they recognize is, and what I've talked about is that it's not like he's playing behind guys who can't play. It's not like there are guys that he's playing behind that he's clearly better than. And that's just not the case. But that doesn't change the fact that, uh, you know, he's a good player who, when he's getting an opportunity, can play. And the other wild card in this whole, you know, Peyton conversation, and we saw him play tonight, is J.D. Davidson. Uh, that is a guy that when you look at his length, you look at his playmaking, he's he's not he doesn't have the shooting range of Peyton. But what he does have is he's a bigger frame point guard and he's got a decent mid range game, which I didn't really realize until the few times I saw him play up in Maine. And even you saw a little bit of that tonight. Uh, so between that free throw line and the three-point line, he's a pretty good shooter. Uh, and he looks for that shot. And because of his court vision, you really can't just uh, play him for the pass or play him for the shot. Because I thought there were a couple times in the Atlanta game where they just guessed incorrectly where they thought he was going to look to shoot. And he throws a lob to Luke or someone. Or they thought he was going to throw the lob and it just gave him the mid-range shot. He has a good... Uh, he's shown good potential to be able to discern between when to take that mid-range shot and when to look for a teammate uh, for an easier basket. And I think his growth and development makes someone like, uh, you know, uh, Peyton Pritchard a little bit more expendable because he's he's younger, obviously. Uh, and uh, some people, I think, don't realize or they forgot that he was a five-star recruit coming out of high school. So the fact that he's in the NBA after one year of college is not that unusual when you are a player that highly regarded in high school. So the Celtics will definitely have some options, but certainly I think that they're thinking is that the best thing for Peyton uh, for now is to have him as an insurance policy. But if in case or if something transpires this offseason when they move him, they already have somebody kind of in the fold that they're kind of molding to fill that gap if necessary in J.D. Boom, and let's go down the line. Sam Hauser, 26 points for the second consecutive game, on fire from three. Looks like the Sam from the start of the year. Many ways, Celtics offense over the last couple weeks here, looking like the Celtics offense we knew from the beginning of the year. They end this year over the last 15, number one in offense and number one in defense, which I'm sure uh, Missoula will mention again uh, in the post game here. Hauser, though, I think this is, and shout out to Mike Mascala, who is amazing here as well, 27 8 and 2. If the Celtics are healthy, we probably won't see Mike Mascala. Though I think there's a chance we see Hauser, especially considering the season Grant had, some of the concerns we have about Grant popped up again in this game, and he didn't play a ton. But you did see play early in the corner, Sherrod, where he, he's out faking, he's jab-stepping, he's doing too much out there, and then he turns the ball over. Just a constant sight from Grant this year. Uh, another point, I think he turned the ball over and fell down and just kind of sat there. That wasn't a great look either. Um, this is a real competition, I think. And we discussed a couple games ago whether Blake could get involved. Didn't see much from Blake in this one, but Hauser, the shooting and the defensive improvements we've seen from him. And he did have a game in that Toronto miniseries where he's diving all over the place. And I know you guys mentioned the rebounding, the defense, the hustle plays from him. He's starting to put together a pretty complete package here. And again tonight, he goes for the two-handed slam. I saw his brother down in the hallway, Joey Hauser, who plays for Michigan State. And I'm like, what's getting into this guy with all the dunk attempts? And he's like, he must be feeling pretty confident out there. And that's what it is, Sherrod. One playing in games. Okay? He feels like he belongs out. And that's big going into the postseason because there might be situations where they need him if Grant just doesn't have it. Excuse me. 
Yeah, and I, I think that's why that battle for eight is, which is really what we're talking about. Who's going to fill that eighth rotation spot? It's, and that's assuming that Joe goes eight deep, which there's no guarantee of that. But Sam, what, what Sam is doing, uh, what he's capable of doing, but recognizing he can do more without overdoing it. Like the one thing about Sam that I, I like most about what we're seeing now is his movement without the ball. I think Sam has done so, that is the one area of his game that he's probably not going to get enough credit for improvement that he deserves because he's no longer just a guy that stands at a spot and catch and shoot. Sam is moving without the ball to get in position to catch and shoot. And even when he does catch, he's not always looking to shoot. Sometimes he's looking to put it on the floor, take one or two dribbles and keep the ball moving or just catch and, and and get rid of it quickly he's figuring out ways to force the defense to think of him more than, than just a catch and shoot guy and the more they're thinking about what he's going to do the better his chances of executing what he knows he's capable of doing and a lot of those you know those cuts that he makes on, along the baseline before it was that's just the easy pathway to get to the other side of the court and get a, a shot off now he's doing what Avery Bradley did years ago in Boston is just using that baseline as almost like a, a screen setter where in the ball at his top of the key guys are finding him cutting across the middle for layups he's doing so much more now offensively that doesn't necessarily show up in the stat sheet as far as his movement which opens things up for his teammates uh the bottom line is, is sam hauser is playing probably as good of basketball as we've seen him play and the last time we've seen him in this kind of flow of rhythm was at the start of the season when the celtics were de just demolishing everyone and when you look at all the factors that have kind of got this celtics team looking more and more like that team that began the start of the season. Sam's play of late is one of the factors that, that certainly uh, comes into play. Yes, and I, I do think there's a real mini competition here going into the postseason, and of course is the matchup consideration as well. I saw a Grandy tweet out there in the game, too, that Hauser had some pretty monster splits uh, against Atlanta this year. I'm going to pull those up heading into tonight. Um, and then, of course, you see the one from uh, from this afternoon there. Uh, so this looks like a good matchup for him, certainly. Uh, he's a guy who could get hunted by Trey Young, and we'll talk about some matchups later, dive into those a little bit since we weren't able to on Friday. But Hauser against Atlanta this year, coming into tonight, um, averaged 9 of 11 from the field, 9 of 11 from three, eight rebounds, 27 points between those two games, 13 points a game. Pretty good. And he adds to that today. So we're now talking about, with today's totals, 18 of 27. Pretty good. Pretty good against this Atlanta team. And two of those were real games. Yeah, and, and, and remember, this is an Atlanta team that the Celtics may very well see in the first round if they can go to Miami and win later this week. So... There are certain teams that you, you can clearly see where Sam Hauser matches up really well against. Atlanta is one of them. Uh, and, and to your point, Bobby, uh, Trey Young, may they may be looking offensively to, to hunt uh, Sam down and try to have Trey go at him. But guess what? The Celtics are going to be doing the same thing to Trey Young. Uh, they know that defensively that is something that he's not particularly strong at. And there are certain matchups where they are 100% going to look to exploit that, whether it's getting him matched with a guy like Sam Hauser who can just shoot right over the top or having him switch out on a guy like Marcus Smart who will absolutely try to take him down uh, and play a little bully ball. Uh, and, 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 again, those guys have a little bit of history, which, again, that's part of the reason why I really want that Atlanta Hawks series, uh, just to see how Marcus and Trey Young will interact and engage with each other. But bottom line, with Sam Hauser, 
Uh, he's doing exactly what players in his position should always try to do, and that is make an impact when you get an opportunity, and hopefully that impact can parlay itself into more imp- impactful moments and opportunities, which is obviously that's what Sam Hauser's thinking at this point. Yeah, and on Grant, who did go, um, I'm trying to pull up his stats from this game. Uh, Less than six minutes on the court. Yeah, two points. Yeah. And I saw quite a few bad things in those six minutes, which isn't good. Minus six, uh, one for two. The percentages look fine uh, if you look at them, but below where you should be, April, I mean, March and April, 44% in the field, percent from three, only five shots per game which I think needs to go up a little bit too. He needs to just get those off on uh, seven points a game, which he should probably be closer to 10 uh, plus in the plus minus department. But a lot of that's what the team was doing out there. Had a good game against Utah though. Um, you know, again, undermanned jazz team that night, Milwaukee solid. Okay. In that game, he's going in the right direction. I think in terms of turning around, he did have that huge seven for 12 game in the loss against them. Um, but I, I don't know. I'm just, it's still not close enough to last year's grant for me to feel great about him going into the postseason. Well, the, 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 you point out a, a couple things that disturb me really, 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 uh, a lot. Uh, and the one incident where he like, looks like he got tripped or fell. And when there was no call made, he just sat there. He just sat there on the floor. And that was it, unbelievable. It, it, Joe Sway was mad to my left. He's like, what are you doing? I I, I felt Joe, Joe Sway's pain. I mean, that, that should never happen. I don't care how bad the call is. I don't care how wrong the official was for making that call. You do not sit on your ass in the middle of a game, even if it's the end of the season and there's nothing at stake as far as playoff city or anything like that. You just don't do that. Because I'm going to go back to something that Joe Mazzula talked about a few weeks ago, and I think it has to, it can't be overstated enough. This time of year, you are trying to build good habits. Sitting on your ass after you don't get a call is not building a good habit. It's very temper tantrum, three-year-old, I'm not getting my way. That's what that is. And, and it bothered me because Grant is better than that. That should not be happening. And I know he's been frustrated with just the way he struggled with his shot. Uh, some of the, the, you know, the defensive matchups just haven't really gone his way. And certainly the calls damn sure haven't gone his way. That being said, you still have to be professional. You still have to be mindful of the fact that your team is counting on you to be one of the leaders when you get out there on the floor. No one, you don't want anyone to lead something like that because, again, that's, it doesn't do you any good. I mean, did that time that he spent on his ass, did it get him a call? No. Is it going to get him any sympathy with the refs? No. Is it going to help your team win the game? No. And so if it doesn't have any of those type of values attached to it, what the hell are you doing? What's the point? I, I, I hope that when they go back and they look at this, that they, they pull that clip out and just remind Grant that this is what you don't do. This is how you can't play. This is what, this is one of the reasons why your role going into the playoffs may not be as robust as you want it to be. Little things like this. You're getting away from doing the little things to help the team. Instead, you're doing little things that hamper or limit uh, the team. And that just can't be the case. He's got to be better than that. Agreed. And I'll be interested in seeing how they look at that front court into round one. And a lot of it would depend, of course, on who they play. You might not see as much ground against Atlanta. Against the BAM, though, and we'll stack up this pass, BAM. Embiid, Giannis, the possible three matchups inside. 
you probably do need Grant to some degree, and I know you debated this. His offense, need a little bit more from him. Defensively, though, they're going to need him against certain matchups, which is going to be a difficult balance. You know, like you want him to be more efficient and to the point offensively, but you can't send a message in the playoffs if you're going to need him guarding Bam, guarding Giannis, guarding Embiid. He's too important in those matchups. And I think he's good enough offensively to suffice uh, what he gives you defensively, which I think is crucial. I don't think there's any way Mascala, Griffin, maybe for spots against Giannis, I, I like him against Giannis in certain spots. Uh, but for over the course of a game, I'd rather have Grant out there guarding uh, Embiid a Bam, a Giannis, and that's going to make him a shoe-in to the rotation in the playoffs if those are their three opponents uh, through the first three rounds. I think I think it'll it'll help get him on the floor, but I don't think it's going to keep him as a steady part of that rotation. I think it's going to be fluid. Uh, I think they're going to they're going to try to go without him until they realize that they can't. So Grant maybe one of those things where Grant doesn't get into at some point in the latter stages or middle of the second round, whereas opposed he would normally get into maybe one of the first, uh, you know, trans transactional rotational stints. Bottom line with Grant, he has to play better. I mean, it, we can sit up here and surmise this has to happen. That has to happen. Don't worry about this and that. He's got to play better. Simple. Cause what he's doing now is not enough. And for me, the frustrating part about Grant right now is that, the one thing that he's capable of doing are the small little hustle energy type things. And that's not happening. And that's a problem. That's a, that's a real big, that's a real problem. Right now, Celtics winners of 57 games this year, second best team in the league. So they have the second best odds to win the championship. Still right behind the Bucks, plus 240, Celtics plus 360. The Suns coming in at plus 500. Of course, you can get all those, as well as some playoff series as they start to be finalized. Uh, Cavs minus 215 against the Knicks. 76ers minus 1,000 against the Nets. And that's all available at FanDuel.com slash Boston. That's FanDuel.com slash Boston. They got the lows falling down around me out here, Sherrod, so I'll be out of here in just a minute. I hope Joe Sway's on his way to save the day. Um, But... I'll hold it down for just another minute or two here. We're going to talk Brad. Brad talked today. Uh, you got some interesting insight from him on Missoula, mostly Jalen Brown and um, Robert Williams in the season he had. Big one, though, out of this one, Sherrod. For all our concerns and questions and um, everything else about Jalen Brown's hand, Brad said that he expects Jalen back at practice middle to later in the week. I don't know if that means he's going to play in game one of the playoff series, depending on if it's Saturday or Sunday, but it is encouraging when we were wondering, could this be a longer term thing that he should be able to practice at some point this week? Yeah. yeah I mean, if, if he's able to go and practice and the, the, the plan obviously at that point is that he's they're prepping to play him on that first round game, which is, it's a very good thing to hear Brad talk about uh, because the way that his hand looked in that bandage, uh, you you wonder if he's got like five fingers, you know, left when all said and done. Uh, so it's good in, in encouraging that it sounds like it's not going to be an issue. Um, but I, I, again, until I see like where those stitches are, uh, I'm not going to feel comfortable about his ability to just 
kind of compartmentalize the injury and not let it be a factor when he's out there playing the games. Because if it's, you know, if it's something that's that, you know, where the stitches on one of his his shooting fingers, uh, that's going to take a little bit of time for him to, I think, get comfortable with that added extra, whatever it may be uh, on that particular finger. Uh, But if it's something, let's say, you know, either on the outside of his hand or something like that, that's an injury that can easily not be a factor because it doesn't affect the actual rotation of the shot and things like that. So if we can get a better sense of where those stitches were, uh, we get a much more, I think, clearer sense of how, um, how long he'll be out. But the fact that Brad was you know, pretty candid about, you know, him you know, returning to practice this week, I, I, it's not like a torn ACL or MCL injury where even when you come to practice, you still have time to, you know, ramp up to getting back on the court. It's not that kind of injury. So uh, if Brad, if he's back to practicing next week, I can't imagine why he wouldn't play in that first game. Yes. I just wonder about the limitations and this way we got cut off yesterday. We were going out a little bit tried. He's out there. Great. That's most important, obviously, but he was playing incredible. And I guess it's just like the way I read it is that it's like one of these, like between the finger or something. It's not on the finger, I guess. So, I don't know. We'll have to ask him when we talk to him again what kind of limitations he's going through. I just worry if there's a wrap on his hand or something. It's that shooting hand, of course. If this was the left hand, I wouldn't be worried at all. But that shooting hand, he's been shooting so great. He's been in such great control, too. We haven't talked about his turnovers in forever, which I feel like we usually are. If it just makes him slip a little bit, that's what I worry about rather than whether he's out there or not. He's obviously going to try to get out there somehow, some way for game one. Yeah, yeah, and and that's yeah that that's a legitimate concern because whenever you have an injury like this and you don't, there seems to be a lot of uh, unknown slash ambiguity to it. Then you need to see him back out there to be fully confident that this is something that can easily be dismissed and and pushed aside as just one of those things. Because uh, he's a big part of what they're looking to do this year. There's there's no question about it. Uh, and they're going to need him to be as close to full strength as possible in order to have their season end the way they want it to. Absolutely. Um, other things from this Brad interview, uh, a lot of Joe talk and Brad pretty emphatic in his defense of Joe uh, this season. You've heard him throughout the year. I think at one point during that losing streak against Indiana and Orlando in the two-game miniseries, he actually came out and spoke uh, in defense of Joe and the job he was doing. I got a lot of questions about him in this one. Joe Sway at one point asked, uh, you know, are you going to give him any advice? Are you going to talk him through how to handle a series, things like that? And I thought this was a pretty good and interesting answer from Joe. I think I have it lined up here. Um, let's see. Here it is. How much do you reach out to him in terms of, like, navigating through a best of seven series? Or do you just do what you've been doing all season long in the sense of keeping communication with you know, our we, coach? I mean, we talk every day, but I want to go back to this. Joe's a strength. So, like, he's done a really good job. And, you know, I, I understand because he's new that, you know, the, the easiest thing to do is nitpick him. But he's done a really good job. Um, if he needs me, I'm here. And if he, you know, and, but I trust him and I trust his staff. Um, and they've all done a good job. You know, and I think our players would all second that. I mean, I, I agree. I mean, when you look at the totality of what Joe Mazzula has done, factoring in the circumstances under which he became the head coach and look at where they are, you know, they're basically, you know, up 
two, three, four quarters of good basketball away from having the best record in the NBA. So the big picture is a very optimistic one that Brad presents, and understandably so, because, again, you start looking at the receipts that, that Joe Mazzula has been racking up this year, and it's impressive. Uh, but that being said, let's not, let's not pretend as if this team's goal is, is all of a sudden lowered now. The goal from the beginning of the season was to win a championship. And you have to ask yourself, has he made the kind of growth as a head coach so that that particular goal remains intact? Are they still a team that is capable of winning a championship? And is he the type of leader to make that happen? Those are, the, to me, the million-dollar questions that you know we'll find out more about that, obviously, in the coming weeks and months. But if I'm simply going by the growth that he has had from the beginning of the season to where he's at now, I think most people, most Celtics fans should feel very confident that at the, that he's going to put these guys in position to be the last team standing. Because uh, I, th- I just think he's made areas of, of improvement and growth in, in damn near every area of concern that he had maybe a month ago, a month and a half ago. Josue, you asked the question. We just played uh, Joe, Brad's answer to you about Joe. I found it interesting. We talked quite a bit about Joe here, obviously, too, and welcome in. Um, I'm going to go check the locker room and re- relocate real quick um, while you guys talk out Brad, uh, Jalen. We've hit on the game so far, Josue, too. So wherever you want to take this, go ahead, and I'll be back in just five, ten minutes, guys. And I promise, Josue, we will not talk about your Easter suit. What you mean? Why not, man? I'm looking damn good today. Oh, damn it. <laughs> nah, we, damn can, it. We, we can save that talk for, uh, you know, yes. post, post show. I, yes. I got you but no, I, I like that that Brad Stevens went ahead and did this, right? I mean, this was unplanned. He just told the media, hey, I, you know, I'm available. I got some things to say. And it's good. And one of the things that surprised me from his response to my question was um, saying that he speaks to Joe Mazzula daily. And I don't know, maybe... It, you know, thinking about it after a while, I guess it makes sense, Sherrod, but don't you feel like Brad's kind of guy that wants Joe to, you know, take his lumps on his own? You know, I, mean, I don't think he's been navigating him closely throughout the entire season, but the fact that he revealed that they, they talk daily, I, I think that's cool, man. I think that's pretty, you know, but for, for the boss to, to chime in and obviously be available is one thing, but to have that connection, you know, day to day, I think it's important, especially when it's your first season and especially when the expectations are this high because Brad has been in a similar situation but he didn't go through this during his first year, right, Sherrod? I mean, the Celtics weren't championship contenders that first year. It took him two, three seasons to obviously, you know, as the team got better, to, to get comfortable with the position as head coach. But, you know, and also know what it's like to, to go through a grind, you know, a, a best of seven series against an opponent. So, I mean, I guess what I wanted to hear was, was he going to do that, right? Will he be talking to him every day? And for him to say, yeah, I've been talking to him every day already, I thought that was pretty cool, you know, going into the playoffs. Well, one of the things that I think we we sometimes lose sight of is that, you know, the relationship between Brad and Joe really isn't that radically different than what it was between Brad and Danny Ainge. Danny Ainge talked to Brad often. Uh, I I, there were times I know where I was like literally put on hold because he got a call from Brad and they needed to talk about something. And, and that's fine. That, that it should be that way, particularly when you're early in your coaching career. And there's just a lot of things that you have questions about that you're not sure about that you want to make sure that, uh, you know, you're doing the best job you can possibly do in the position that you have. Now I will say this, I think the nature of their conversations is dramatically different. Uh, Danny, you know, Brad came here with no expectations of success early on. And your GM is someone who's literally, been in your shoes as an NBA head coach. Uh, he's in the front office here. He's been he's done enough to where he has a certain cachet when you speak to him about some of the things you need to do, some things you might want to avoid, et cetera, so on. 
Joe Mazzulla is very different because he's been on that bench. He's been in those huddles. He understands these guys in a different way than if they would have brought in someone from the outside. And I think one of the things Brad has talked about previously was how he just wants to make sure that Joe knows that he's available, that he's there, that if we need to talk, we can talk. But in that the lines of communication is a pipeline that is never going to get clogged. It's always going to be free flowing. And Joe Mazzulla wisely takes advantage of that because, you know, you, you look at just the the way that Brad kind of helped craft and cultivate this team, um, there's certain elements of it that that are just it's very Brad Stevens like. And if you look at Joe Mazzula, you can see some similarities. The, the one big difference, I think, is that Joe is a little bit more locked into figuring out ways to get more points scored. Uh, and, you know, the, that's. We're seeing that manifest when these guys can drop 100 and some change on you in three quarters. Uh, that happened tonight yeah, or today against, against Atlanta. So uh, Joe Mazzulla has done, I think, a really good job of kind of slowly, you know, creating the narrative of who his team is and what they can do. Like this team scores a ton of points and they when they want to lock in defensively they can be absolute hell out there for teams to deal with but they don't necessarily lock in as much on that as they probably should uh joe is trying to figure out the best way to get them to be a little bit more uh you know offensive minded in terms of good quality shot selection but maintain a certain amount of defensive discipline uh because joe mozula knows better as well as anyone at the end of the day your ability to defend at a high level uh, at all positions, more than anything else, is going to catapult you into the conversation and hopefully the positioning of being the last team standing. Yeah, no question, for sure. And I think one thing we learned from this from this season, I mean, we probably learned this a couple of months ago, is the fact that they're just they're just not going to be that team that they were last year defensively, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, it, it doesn't it isn't exactly what people expected because I'm sure people you know months ago still had the hopes of seeing Robert Williams be that guy on the defensive end, and you know once realizing that he wasn't going to do that. I mean, that's where you came to the the realization that that defensive team, that defensive minded team, is just not there. But offensively. I mean, this this wasn't them last year either, right, Sharon? I mean, the, yeah. what they're doing, even when when guys like either Tatum or, or Brown aren't aren't even around, is impressive because of uh, you know the offensive weapons that they didn't have last year. Derek White, a version of him that we didn't see last season, played all eighty two games. You know, Malcolm Brogdon wasn't on this team last year. Another playmaker, someone that can also give you twenty plus when he feels like it, essentially, right? Another weapon they didn't have last year. But Sam Hauser is an interesting piece. You know, I mean, a couple of nights ago, he told us, you know, he's not quite sure if he'll play every single game, but he's going to be ready for when his name is called. And I'm like, Sam, your name better be called early and often if you ask me. I, I honestly think that he, he's important because if he gets going from, from deep, that just changes things for both the bench and the starting unit, whether you have someone like Tatum in the mix with those second unit guys, or you have someone like Brogdon or, you know, uh, another player that can really get going or get more open looks because of the Sam Hauser knocking down three pointers, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, you, you go back to the start of the season when the Celtics were just steamrolling over, over everyone and you start kind of just sifting through the weeds and look at that data, stats, analytics, and then you realize Sam Hauser was freaking killing it. Uh, in terms of knocking down shots. And I remember uh, one time Tatum was joking about how, uh, you know, Sam should thank him for getting all those open damn looks. Uh, And, you know, and and the more I thought about it, I'm like, Jason, you might want to thank him because you you get some pretty damn good looks too. Right. Because he he made life easier for you, right? And, and, And to me, that's the challenge for Sam is it was figuring out what's the best path towards being able to help this team uh, and being able to help them consistently. You know, before you came on, Joe Sway, me and Bobby were talking about Sam. And the one thing I, I wanted 
uh, to, to stress was that Stan, Sam has figured out ways to be more than just a catch-and-shoot sniper. Uh, he puts the ball on the floor now. He dunks uh, when the opportunity presents itself. He does so many more things now offensively that I just yeah, knew he was – I didn't know if it was in his bag, uh, to be honest with you. Like, his yeah, ability – he's, like he's looking like a young Ray out there. Remember when Ray used to dunk on people? Like, that's what you remind me of, man. I'm not going to go there, Joe Slay. <laughs> I, I, I think, I think it, it, this, is, this is the slow down there, fella. Easy, easy, easy fella. Portion of the program. That quarter three today looked a little rayish, though. The catch is off the inbound. He's had a few Ray Allen esque moments. I will give you that. I okay. will give you that. Okay. But he ain't Ray. Don't you know? <laughs> don't don't pull, don't pull Tommy. You know, Steve's my Bill Russell. Line <laughs> don't don't do that to me. Don't do that to yeah, me. Yeah, that's that's pretty. Yeah, that's a good comparison. Yeah, but, the, but, but Sam has done a lot of good things though, that you like. I mean, I, I I love the fact that he moves so well without the ball. I think that's the part of his game that has made the most growth from where he was at the start of the season to where he's at now. His ability to not only move without the ball, but when he's moving, how he's capable of forcing that defense to shift uh, a little bit right. more because they're so worried about him catching the ball in the corner and shooting. And it's to the point where, you know, they will trail him as he goes on the baseline and the Celtics have done a good job of force feeding the ball to him on the block where a defender's behind him where he has a layout. And right. Sam, I would say the last four or five games, you know, he's probably getting like a, a bucket every game that way. And when that, when you are talking about advancing from one round to the next, every basket matters uh, because that layup that came off a, a steal in the inbounds that got you two points could very well be the margin of victory at the end of the night. So yeah. Sam, I think, is doing a good job of finding ways to impact the game offensively, get his himself in position to make plays. And the Celtics, to their credit, uh, they have done a good job of positioning him and empowering him, whether – whether you know Tatum is out there or not, empowering him to feel confident, to be aggressive, to be the kind of shooter and scorer that they know he's capable of, and he knows he's capable of as well. Yeah, man, moving out the ball. I mean, that that's a big part of his game for sure. I mean, last year we weren't even quite sure what they were going to get outside of just catch and catch and shoot, right? So he's, yeah. he certainly worked on his game, and he he saw those minutes, he saw that that opening for him to to contribute and, and he took advantage so shout out to him for that man he's just he's just having fun out there this past weekend it just feels like felt like senior night you know <laughs> one of those those nights where everyone plays everyone's laughing and smiling and you look up and they're up by double digits i mean yeah. that was the vibes here at td garden you know friday and of course today as well uh seeing Payne preacher who's actually uh, speaking right now at the podium i'm sure bobby will get a question in or two uh, we'll, we'll hear from him in a second but um I, i'm sure you guys talked about him briefly but i'm gonna bring him up anyways you know triple double out of pain it's funny Sherrod, i'm turning to, to bobby and i'm like man like this doesn't surprise me at all you know if a- anything goes down this this postseason whether it's unfortunately you know hopefully not but uh, an, an injury or even something happens in, in the middle of a game you just know he's going to be ready for when his name is called you know I, I don't think that's part i don't think no one's questioning that part of Peyton's game but I, I i think that you know when you look at what he's able to do offensively that that type of outside touch you, you can't help but wonder if joe does call his name you know, what happens there in these post-game situations. I mean, he did get a little bit of playing time last year, but he's a much better player now, right? I mean, even though he's not uh, a shoo-in in Joe Mazzullo's rotation, you can still see the, the strides he's made this season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's definitely uh, done the things that you are supposed to do to give yourself a chance and opportunity to play when your number's called. Uh, I, I, this has clearly not gone the way he would, would have hoped it would go, and certainly uh, – you can't really knock the Celtics for not playing him because when you look at the guys that are ahead of him, you know, with all due respect, they're better. 
they're they're just better. They they have more size. They have more length. They uh, they mean some can't shoot as well as he can, but you know what? He can't defend as well as some of them. So it kind of balances out. Uh, the, but the thing I will say about him is that he has remained professional about this entire process, knowing that he would have been he's more than open to being traded because he knows that there's a high probability that he's not going to play the kind of minutes and position himself to get a second contract. Let's be honest that it's yeah. the contract is, it is a thing. And another team would have better would have allowed him to, to thrive. I think a little bit more, but you know, there, there are lessons that he can learn in, in the limited role that he has with the Celtics. And I, and I think the biggest one he's going to take away when he leaves, because he's, he's going to leave at some point is that you cannot, take anything for granted that you have to you have to really understand that if you are a non-superstar on your team the rope in which that they're going to give you is shorter uh tatum can go five six seven games without shooting the ball well and guess what's going to happen on on game seven he's going to start guess what's going to happen on game eight he's still going to start when you are a backup and you have a very limited niche role uh if you're not getting certain things done your number may not be called. You may go from playing like 15, 20 minutes a game to DMPCD and it down, down the street afterwards. And that's that's a reality that a lot of these players, you know, uh, don't really understand or embrace. Uh, but it's something that's real. It's and, and it's, you know, the Celtics are, are seeing that up close and personal on a regular basis, no doubt. Definitely. No, for sure. I mean, look, people could say, oh, man, this is great exposure for him. And maybe he was you know, taking advantage of the situation. I'm like, yo, go for it. <laughs> Why not? I mean, uh, whether people want to call it a trade request or not, I mean, he was certainly open for that because he was looking for a, a, a new opportunity. You know, if, if it's not if things were going to improve here and it certainly hasn't for Payton, but he's remained positive. You know, he, he hasn't checked out and he and you know, the injury didn't help things. But now that he's you know back to uh, being available, this is the kind of production he can he, he can he can give you right on a, on a night like this or a matchup like this and uh, it's a great warm-up for the for the postseason i think for sure yeah yeah and, and that's really what ultimately this always comes back to how are the things you're doing now helping prepare you for the playoffs because that that's the, look that's the barometer of success uh you either win it all or you don't there, there, i don't think there's a lot of gray area uh with the celtics team as far as what they can uh what they're looking to do and what the opportunities to do that look definitely all right Sherrod, that's gonna do it for this for this show man bobby manning uh he's got got a little tied up right now we're about to start recording soon i mean it's easter sunday we got some great segments coming up uh to, for, for you guys to to check out but uh before we get out of here though real quick uh grant williams uh didn't see a whole lot for him in this game uh it was one of those nights from the very beginning, he was yapping at the referees, or one of those days, I guess I should say, uh, yapping at the referees at the beginning, just seemed really frustrated, just out of sync with the rest of the team. Uh, what, what do you make of it? Is it a little bit of, am I making too much of nothing here, or are we are we going to keep keep a close eye on Grant and, and how he looks in this first round? Uh, well, we may not have to look very far because Grant's probably going to be the guy on the bench that we recognize. Uh, I don't think he's going to play much. Uh, and I, I, I base that on the fact that He's not making the most of the minutes that he's getting. Now, there's certain matchups where they're they're probably going to give him a role or an opportunity to play. Like if they play the Hawks, for example, um, I could I could probably see him 
you know, seeing some spot duty against them. Uh, but he hasn't done enough of late to solidify his place in that regular rotation. And then you look at a guy like Sam Hauser. I, I look at Sam as their eighth man now uh, at this point playing. You know, if they go with their traditional start five, and you got maybe Rob coming off the bench with Malcolm. Mm-hmm. Sam, to me, is that, that next uh, guy to, to play. And Grant, he'll get opportunities to play his way back into the good graces of Joe Missoula, but it's not going to happen in game one of the playoffs. I just don't think it's going to be that easy. Uh, and the decision will be one that if you're a Celtics fan, you kind of understand why Joe wouldn't play him. He hasn't played well. Uh, and then you look at Mike Muscala, you know, he gets out there and he drops like 25 or 26. Sure. Look at Blake, man. Blake, yeah, even if it's just energy and just getting back on defense, like little things like that, he's making yeah. a bigger impact. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, he's not, he's no longer doing the little things other than uh, pouting, which is something we don't like to see. No one likes to see that, particularly when you, you go like three year old pouting where you don't. Yeah. Get your, like, when he was sitting on the other end of the floor while the play's going on on the other yeah. side, like, what are you doing? Yeah, that man? bothered the hell out of me. I'm not going to lie. I love Grant. But that pissed me off because that should never happen. Uh, like, get up, man. You're one of the dudes that that, that gets an opportunity. You know, look at these guys who are, you know, working their asses off, knowing that they're probably not going to play a whole lot in the playoffs. You know? Yeah. I mean, even when Tatum gets a call or a non-call, the hands go up, but the feet are moving. You know? <laughs> and, and that's what I want. You can you can bitch and moan and complain about a call. That's on you. But don't right. just stand there while the play is going on. Because guess what that opponent is going to do? They're going to figure out real quick who you should be guarding, and they're going to go to that person, mm-hmm. and then they're going to put your defense in rotation. And next thing you know, you got freaking, you know, Bruno Fernando under the rim with the rock for a dunk. Yeah. And they're looking at you like, what the F are you doing? How did that happen? Right. Yeah. So he, he's just he's just got to get out this funk, man. He needs to see the ball go through the net a couple of times. I personally think his, the best pathway for him to get back in the good graces is to do the little things. Get your ass on the floor, die for loose balls, draw charges, do all those things that no one really wants to do in the grand scheme of playing basketball that help your team win. Because guess what? Blake Griffin figured out real quick that's how you get on the floor. Right. Uh, and so he, he needs to take a page from Blake uh, and just become more of a grinder uh, instead of a guy that's looking for glory out there. With, get so. back to the basics for sure, Graham. I like that. I like that. Maybe even give him the line that uh, <laughs> that, that who was it? Who, who gave that, this advice to, uh, to, to Ben Simmons? It was, it was Garnett, KG. He said, man, remember why you fell in love with this game. Go back to the basics, Grant. Come on, man. He, he, he needs to be he needs to be why he, this game so much, Rock. Yeah, he needs to be on that grind, Grant. That's yeah. what it needs to be. On the grind, Grant. You get back to being on the grind, Grant. You get in the game. That's simple. Definitely. Definitely. All right. This episode of the uh, Celtics Postgame Show is, is also brought to you by Athletic Greens. Uh, you know you know what they're doing over there at AG1, man. They make things easy. Athletic Greens is giving you a uh, year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs when you head to athleticgreens.com slash garden. If you haven't already, take care of your health and get on that. That's athleticgreens.com slash garden. He is... Hey, Sherrod Blakely. I am Joseph Pavone for Bobby Manning. We already know, guys. We're definitely going to go live at some point throughout this week. I'm assuming after Tuesday when we find out which team the Southerners will be playing in the first round, whether it's the Atlanta Hawks or the Miami Heat. We will recap everything that you have to look forward to in this first-round matchup. I'm sure Sherrod will join us. And, of course, you can check out Sherrod on the A-List podcast 
what you guys got going on this week, man? I know there's a new episode coming up, right? Yeah, I mean, we're just going to do a little bit of reflection on just the season, look ahead to the playoffs. We'll probably okay. uh, post after we know who the matchup is. Uh, but, you know, I, I've made it very clear. I'm hoping it's Atlanta for one and first and foremost selfish reasons. I love Atlanta. Yeah, you uh, do. But if I'm the Celtics, I would also too. love to see Atlanta first round if I'm the players, because I think that's the path of least resistance for you to get to where you want to be at the end of the day. Uh, then Miami is just a rock fight that you don't really need to have yeah. uh, because that's what it's going to become, because that's that's the only way they can win. And they've got one of the best coaches at positioning them to be successful, whether it's regular season, but particularly in the playoffs. So, yeah, that's the coaching matchup, right? If you get the heat, man, that's, that's where you're going to get the coaching matchup. And you could get seven games. I still like the Celtics' chances, but uh, yeah. you want to make things, you know, on the simpler side. You go against the Heat. I agree with yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring on, bring on Hawks. Bring right. on Hawks. Right. I wouldn't mind a visit to Atlanta. Either I know way, you. Man. I know you wouldn't, Josue. <laughs> Either way, it's uh, it's the first round's looking pretty good for us. <laughs> That's gonna do it for us. CLNS Media. You already know uh, plenty of coverage and uh, more from this game, recapping the Celtics regular season and looking ahead to the first round matchup of the playoffs. He is Asia Rob Blakely. I am Josue Pavone. We'll see you guys next time. Happy Easter, everybody. Enjoy your day. Enjoy your time with your family. And I will see you guys later this week. Later, people. See you.